So lately I've been spending quite a bit of time thinking about the supply chain issues, whether that's the ones that we're currently dealing with or ones that may be coming our way in the near future. You probably kind of figured this out by the themes of my recent episodes. Um, We had the one where we talked about what to do if you couldn't buy food at the grocery store uh, and so on. But as I've been thinking about this, I kind of had this follow up thought. And that is, you know, here I am feeling pretty secure in our homestead situation, our choices, we have food and we have a plan, we have, uh, we're able to grow things. And I've set up this infrastructure for years, kind of um, not realizing I was preparing for this moment, but kind of on purpose, kind of not, you know what I mean? It wasn't like we were super hardcore preppers, but it just happened to work out really well. But I realized, you know, there are definitely pieces of my homestead that I am still dependent on buying from town. You know, whether it's feed for my livestock or chicks every year or seeds, like there's pieces of my homestead operation that are still not immune from shortages and things like that. So I've been ruminating on how to overcome that and and work around those issues if they were to ever become something that was hard to find or hard to get. And I thought I'd share some of my thought processes in today's episode. So here we go. You're listening to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast, where ambitious people master the art of returning to their roots. Have you found yourself disenchanted with society or wishing you could opt out of the rat race? Perhaps you're craving a life that's meaningful and tangible, a life where you can create and produce instead of merely consume. I'm Jill Winger, best-selling author and longtime homesteader. Over the last 10 years, I've helped thousands of families create more connection, grow amazing organic food, and find the ultimate fulfillment through an old-fashioned lifestyle. And I can do the same for you. Now, on to our episode. So lately, I have been kind of taking a different approach to content creation. Uh, And instead of just kind of cranking out content for the sake of cranking out content, I've been just focusing on things that I personally find exciting or interesting. And that's kind of why I'm talking about this today, because it's something that's legitimately been on my brain. And oddly enough, when I do focus on those topics that I'm finding interesting, it seems like you guys find them super interesting as well. We're getting a lot of good feedback about uh, this season's topic. So that's what we're talking about this today. It's not that I have this perfectly lined out plan, or I can give you this prescriptive um, roadmap of exactly how you can overcome shortages in these areas, but it's just me kind of thinking through what I may do, what I've been considering, um, some of the the roadblocks that I see us having on our, our homestead operations, and I'm kind of selfishly using this as a time to process my own thoughts, but I think, I hope it'll be helpful for you as well, just to kind of see uh, what I'm thinking about. So yeah. Anyway, uh, the shortages have been interesting. Like I haven't seen them reflected a whole bunch in our local stores. Like there's definitely gaps on the store shelves. It's not that I necessarily haven't been able to get food items I've wanted. I I felt like that hasn't really been an issue. Um, For our businesses, that's been challenging. Like we tried to get some paint for the soda fountain the other day and they said there's a paint shortage at Sherman Williams and I couldn't get the paint I needed. Um, we are still dealing with the dry ice shortage for our beef. Like we were able to work around 
um, kind of the nationwide shortage issue and have found a local plant that makes their own dry ice. But like this week, their plant is down. So I can't get dry ice from them and I can't get it from the grocery stores and I can't get it anywhere else. So I have beef to ship and I can't ship it. And that's really aggravating. Um, some of you, if you watched me over on Instagram, I shared last week, the planners, the old fashioned on purpose planners, we were getting ready to ship them and all the planners were printed and ready to go. And so they started to ship them to me in batches. And I got the first batch, the pallet of planners, opened it up. And I realized that the printer had messed up the margins on the planners. And he, they had punched the holes like too close to some of the numbers. And it was like, it just wasn't, wasn't right. It wasn't good. So I could not send those out. And so I reached out to the printer. They, they said, oh my gosh, we messed up on our machine. Nobody checked it. We're going to make it right. But there's a paper shortage and it's going to take us a while to find more paper. And so I feel like lately as a small business owner, it's roadblock after roadblock of shortages and delays and, oh, we messed this up, but now we can't fix it for a long time. And it's, uh, it's frustrating to say the least. So if you're waiting for beef, it's coming, I promise. And if you're waiting for a planner, um, I'm hoping to get the first batch of the corrected planners here this week. So thank you for your patience. But anyway, that's part of the reason I've been thinking about this so much lately. Um, but you know, our homestead, although I have some pieces definitely figured out and I feel pretty confident about our game plan, there are aspects that I still feel like we're probably a little bit of sitting ducks on, you know, um, our chicken feed. I'm buying chicken feed at the feed store. Uh, when we have pigs, I buy pig feed at the, at the feed store. Uh, seeds are something I'm still buying from other sources and all of that. So, you know, when I asked myself, what if I couldn't get that stuff at the feed store? What if there was a shortage of that sort of thing? What would I do? And that is how today's episode was born. So I'm just going to go through each of these categories and just talk out loud and kind of process how I'm thinking of strategies and or not strategies or kind of just where I'm at. And if you guys have ideas or thoughts on this, I'd love for you to shoot them my way. Um, I learn a lot from you guys just as much as you learn from me. So I love the collective knowledge that this community has. So first up, seeds. Um, I did a Instagram live two weeks ago and talked about why I'm buying my seeds early. And I did. I bought all of my 2022 seeds in October. And I went with True Leaf Market. Um, they, I, they've been sponsored to this podcast before. I am a huge fan. I know the, the owner and they are just wonderful, uh, company. You can shop if you'd like. I'll just tell you the code now before I forget. It's the prairiehomestead.com slash seeds. And I believe the code is homestead 10. I'll put it in the show notes to be safe. Um, and you can get 10% off your order of $50 or more. But anyway, I did buy all my seeds early. I've never done that this early. I usually wait till January or February, which is kind of the normal time to buy seeds. But I just was thinking, you know, in 2020, the seeds uh, ran out really quick. And that's because seed companies kind of just with the way production works, you just can't produce more seeds if you need them, right? You have to grow the plant and plan ahead. So it's hard for them to react to a sudden increase in um, demand, right? Like it takes a while. So 2020, we saw shortages. This year wasn't as bad but I don't know what next year will be like, especially with inflation and shortages and just who knows the exciting things we'll get to deal with next year. So I figured it would be smart to have 
my seed supply stocked up, I would recommend that you do the same if you're planning on growing food next year, which I think is a really smart idea. Um, I really stuck with the basics on my seeds. I didn't go super exotic or super fancy. I pretty much just know what my family likes to eat and um, what I like to preserve and can. So we kept it pretty simple. And I focused pretty heavily on greens and cold weather crops because, as you know, we have pretty much eight months of winter here in Wyoming. And so I'm like, you know, if I'm trying to grow the majority of my produce, um, or maybe not the majority, but a good chunk of it, if things get wonky at the grocery store, then I need to have crops that are going to be able to handle the cold temperatures. Now, thankfully, I have my greenhouse to help with that. But like I've explained in other episodes about cold weather gardening, for those of you who live in a more normal cold climate, uh, you can probably do just fine without the greenhouse and you can still grow the greens, the kale, the spinach, maybe even cabbages, some of the root crops. You can grow them through a large portion of your year, or maybe if you're not actively growing them, they're able to just hang out outside without being ruined. So I do have to have my greenhouse to make that happen, but you may or may not. So that's why I really focused on the greens. I've found for during summer, I don't even like messing with the lettuce and the spinach and that stuff because it bolts so quickly and the bugs just demolish it. But it's really easy for me to grow in the winter. Even in my greenhouse that's not heated, it doesn't have any electricity or lights, does great. And as long as I can get some good growth on it before it gets super, super cold and the days get super short, then it's kind of like a big refrigerator and it just hangs out and we harvest as needed. So Seed saving is something I'm going to also be looking at more in the coming years. I did a little bit of seed saving this year. Um, whenever I talk about buying seeds online, I always get a number of people who are kind of like shaming me for not seed saving. <laughs> so here's my thoughts on that. Here's why I haven't done a ton of seed saving in the past. Seed saving is not as easy in, in all varieties as some people think it is, right? There are things like tomato seeds are pretty easy to save. Sunflower seeds are easy. Um, cucumbers are pretty easy. But for other seeds, uh, you know, like cabbages, like that's a biennial and you have to do this whole process of saving those seeds. It's a thing. And the, the real devoted seed savers will actually keep separate plants away from others. So there's no mixing and cross pollination. And it's like this keeping it really pure and they'll like cover them. And it's like a whole thing. So seed saving could literally be a full-time hobby. And if you know me very well, you know that I don't do fussy homesteading practices. I don't care how old fashioned they are. If it's fussy and um, super time consuming, I just don't have time for that. So I am planning to save more seeds in the future for sure, especially, you know, who knows what seed inventory will look like in the coming years. So it's a great time to learn how to save those favorites. You know, tomatoes, you just let them get ripe and even a little bit squishy and you can harvest the seeds and let them soak in water for a few days and dry them and they're ready to go. Same goes for cucumbers, um, stuff like that. I have not yet ventured into the tricky seeds like the cabbages or um, the carrots and things like that. There is a great book that I can't remember the name of, but I think it's called The Ultimate Guide to Seed Saving, something along those lines, but it's a big book. It's color and it's a, it's a large book, um, very high quality. 
And I have invested in that because I thought that would be a great option for my library. And that's going to be kind of my Bible, if you will, for learning more about seed saving. But just know that some of the varieties take a little more effort than you might think at first glance. However, I do think it is a worthwhile skill to have. Um, side note, I've been getting a lot of questions about my favorite books, homesteading books, and I have them all over at theprairiehomestead.com slash shop. I actually have a lot of my favorite stuff over there, but we have a whole section for books and I have it linked to bookshop.org, which is a uh, website that supports indie booksellers. So I try not to buy books from Amazon when I can help it. Sometimes I can't help it. Uh, but I try to support those smaller bookstores and those kind of off the beaten path options. But if you want to see all my favorite books for homesteading and business and all that other stuff, I have it listed over there. And I know that seed saving book is in there too, with the actual proper title. It's either Ultimate Guide to Seed Saving or Seed si Saving from A to Z or something like that. But it's big in color and you'll recognize it when you see it. Uh, okay, so seeds are something that I am planning ahead, whether I'm either buying a little bit more or getting strategic with saving. Um, number two, I would say the, uh, another area I'm looking at, and this kind of goes into the food area. I'm not talking about food a whole bunch in this episode today, but um, flour, right? And grains. So having bulk grains is something that I'm kind of doing above and beyond the typical grocery store purchases, right? I can't grow the grains. Uh, and so that's for me, securing them from a place like Azure Standard, which is my favorite bulk kind of organic co-op place to shop, or from local farmers. Having those in my basement because in their unprocessed state, they will last years and years and years, and then having my grain mill to process them. So doing that. Um, and then another big area beyond the seeds and the flour would be the chickens. And I had a really great episode a couple seasons ago with Kate from Venison for Dinner. And we talked a little bit about this, but you know, I realized my chickens are great. They provide us with meat and eggs, but that's definitely an area of our homestead that I'm very dependent on outside sources to keep going. And I got some ideas from Kate and we, we talked about some good options for replenishing the flock without the feed store without those outside sources, but I, I haven't really put a lot of those into practice yet. So I figured, you know, this might be the time to start getting more strategic. This episode is sponsored by us. We are so excited to be kicking off the launch of our brand new beef business, Genuine Beef Company. And we're now able to ship our Wyoming raised beef nationwide. This is beef that we have raised ourselves. It doesn't come from overseas, like a lot of the grass-fed beef you see on the market. It's grass-fed and grass-finished, dry-aged to perfection, and processed in a USDA facility where it is vacuum-sealed for maximum freshness. We now have ground beef, roasts, steaks, and all sorts of different bundles available. All you have to do is go online, order, and we'll ship it straight to your doorstep. Head on over to GenuineBeefCo.com to see what we have to offer or follow us over on Instagram, GenuineBeefCo, for recipes, tips on cooking grass-fed beef, the latest flash sales, and a view of what it's like to ranch out on the wide open Wyoming prairie. 
Plus, if you use code PODCAST, you'll save 10% on your order. And now, back to our episode. What I'm thinking as far as chicks. Now, right now we have a ridiculous number of chickens. Like, I just kept telling everyone, like, they're like, how many chickens do you have this year, Jill? And I'm like, oh, probably like 20. (laughs) And then Christian and the kids went out and actually counted them uh, about a month ago. Do you want to know how many chickens I actually have? 45. I have 45 chickens. (laughs) So, no, I cannot count. And my estimation skills are poor, apparently. But we have a lot of chickens and we're getting a lot of eggs, which is fantastic. So I don't need to buy chicks next year. Um, But that doesn't mean I won't need to buy chicks later on. So what if you couldn't get chicks? What if there was, you know, what if it was hard to get chicks? So I, I think my plan with that will be to figure out how to incubate better. And by better, I mean, figure out how to incubate without killing all the eggs, because that's what I did last year. Uh, I don't know if you saw that YouTube video. It was horrific. (laughs) It was horrible. So bad. I killed like the entire incubator full of eggs. Okay, I shouldn't say I killed it because I don't really know what happened. I did everything by the book. Like I literally had the handbook sitting next to me the entire 21 days and I followed it to AT. I checked the temperature. I I did all the things and it, they were all dead. Like they all died like on day 18 or 19. Um, it was not great. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to try not to repeat that situation. I have since learned that the incubator I was using, I think the temperature is known, the thermometer is known to be not super accurate. So I'm going to get a new, a new thermometer for next time. But if I can actually figure out how to incubate eggs, which I have done in the past, I just don't know why it didn't work last year. Then I I have roosters, obviously. I have a lot of hens, and I can start hatching our fertilized eggs. Now, that will replenish my laying flock, but the tricky part remains to be the meat the meat birds, right? Because when I'm buying chicks every year, um, a big chunk of that is me buying meat bird chicks to replenish our freezer. Now we do Cornish cross meat birds because I like the speed in which they grow and I do like the amount of meat that they produce. However, they're hybrids and so they're not a breed that you're just going to raise them in your backyard and hatch the eggs. Like it doesn't work like that. They're they're kind of a funky breed, which I kind of have a love-hate relationship with them, but it's what we use right now. So anyway, I'm thinking um, in the event that I couldn't get chicks, what I would do is continue to incubate our laying eggs, our laying bird eggs, and then we would just harvest the roosters and keep the hens, which if you look back at how they did it in the old days, that's how they were getting their chicken meat. They were doing stewing hens. They were doing the young roosters. Um, you know, that's what the old farm wife would do. She'd go out in the yard, kill a chicken for supper, and there you go. So We've gotten a little bit spoiled with the Cornish cross, with all of the the big breast meat and all of that. And if we had to, we could just go without that and have lesser breast meat. We'd still have chicken to eat. So that would create that closed system with our chickens where I wouldn't have to keep doing out, uh, well, what am I trying to say? Inputs <laughs> from the feed store. And I would be able to just continue to keep that going on our homestead without having to invest in more chicks all the time. So that would be a plan there. The other aspect of chickens is the feed. So we are still buying 
chicken feed from the feed store, just honestly out of laziness because I don't want to have to to manage the chickens and spend energy on that. That's really my very blunt answer. <laughs> I just don't have the bandwidth to micromanage what the chickens are eating. Now, if it did come to an instance where I couldn't buy the feed at the feed store, I could still feed my chickens and I would just follow the path that the old timers did once again. So, you know, great, great grandma didn't go feed her chickens Purina, more than likely. They were just eating whatever they could scrounge from the barnyard, whether that was the grain that was falling out of the mouths of the cows um, in the milking stanchions or the kitchen scraps, the garden leftovers, all of that. Now, we do feed all of our kitchen scraps to the chickens and all of our garden waste, um, but because I'm not like really paying super close attention to what they're getting in their scrap bucket, we do the chicken, the laying feed, because I want to make sure they get enough protein to lay enough eggs. So if I couldn't get the bagged feed and I wanted to keep those protein requirements up, um, one option that I have looked at in the past is, um, I think they're called so soldier grub larva, right? Um, Harvey Usury, he has the um, an amazing chicken book. It's also in my bookshop link that I shared a little bit ago. He has a whole chapter on how he raises these grubs for protein for his chickens. And I don't think he buys any pre-mixed feed at the feed store at all. So that's an option. You could also just make sure that you're feeding them more meat scraps, um, things like that. Maybe if you're, you're butchering your own uh, pork or your own beef, you're saving those, the gristly pieces and the scraps and you're freezing those and you're feeding those to your chickens. I mean, are you going to be able to scientifically check for the exact protein requirement? I mean, no, but your great grandma didn't either. And her chickens survived and gave them eggs, not eggs at the rate, you know, that a commercial hatchery or a commercial egg laying operation would require. We're not pushing those chickens to their max capacity, but you're still going to get eggs and you're not going to be needing the grains to do that. So there's lots of ways to get around that. Um, another thing I've considered is, you know, having the soda fountain. We, I'm shocked at how much food waste a restaurant produces. And so I know whenever I'm there, I'm, I'm taking the, the wilted lettuce and the uh, ends of the tomatoes and whatever, and I'm bringing them home for my chickens. So what if, you know, I reached out to other restaurants and got food scraps and food waste? And I want to be careful not giving my chickens a lot of like junk food. Um, not giving them leftover ice cream or things like that or chocolate, but with the vegetable scraps or the bits of bread and, and things along those lines, like you just think about how much food ends up in the trash in your community. And what if that food was instead going to a flock to feed the flock and then produce eggs? Like it's really a beautiful system when you think about it. It's just pretty darn amazing. So that's another option. It would just um, be a matter of swallowing your pride and knocking on some doors and seeing if you can bum their their kitchen scraps. I know some people, I've heard of them like dumpster diving for their chickens. Um, that's another option. I don't have a lot of dumpsters in my local area, but if you live in a bigger city, that could be maybe something that would work for you. So anyway, I guess the moral of the story with the chickens for me is looking at how our ancestors would have done it before they had a feed store in every corner and kind of mimicking some of that. Um, and I think the same would go if you have other animals that require grain. Like obviously 
our cattle are grass-fed, so that's kind of a non-issue. And hay is something that I'm not buying at the feed store. I'm getting that from local connections, local ranchers, or we're making the hay ourselves. So that I don't feel like would be as dependent on supply chains to ensure I have hay for my animals. Um, if you're not making your own hay, it's just a matter of getting to know local ranchers and farmers in your area just to kind of secure those sources. But, you know, it's something if you have something like a pig or something that needs a grain, I think pigs you could probably follow right along the lines with the chickens is lots of food scraps, lots of restaurant scraps, um, lots of garden waste and, and things like that. It's surprising to people. This is kind of a side note, but it just made me think of this. Chickens and pigs are not vegetarians. <laughs> they are omnivores. And it always is surprising to people, especially those who are used to buying like eggs at the grocery store that say like vegetarian eggs. And I'm like, whenever I see that, I'm like, chickens don't want to be vegetarians. They love bugs. If you've ever seen them go after a mouse, it's quite brutal. And nature is, is cruel. <laughs> but they like meat. And same goes for pigs. Like when we, we raised six pigs last year, uh, I do pigs about every other year. And we shared the meat with friends but those pigs love their meat scraps and on this is gross but I'm just going to tell you because it's real life man homestead homestead reality we butchered chickens um one day and we had the gut pile and we gave those to the pigs and you would have thought you know that was the biggest delicacy they've ever had in their life but pigs are not vegetarian so that's a good protein source is some of those options maybe that you wouldn't have thought you could feed to your chickens well you can. <laughs> it just isn't necessarily falling into that perfect vegetarian paradigm because that's not how those animals are designed to eat. So anyway, that's a whole nother topic. But anyway, okay. Um, what else? Oh, this one, kind of my last thought on this probably won't affect you as a homestead person or as a small gardener, but I've been seeing a lot of reports of nitrogen, like commercial fertilizer shortages, which is interesting and will also be interesting as to how that affects like domino wise supply chains and those big food production systems how that's going to be affected by this nitrogen fertilizer fertilizer shortage now i'm guessing if you're a homesteader or a backyard gardener you're not buying that sort of fertilizer anyway but if you are i mean i would highly recommend manure man manure is magic whether it's chicken manure or rabbit manure or goat or horse or cow, if you don't have those animals yourself, um, I bet you could easily find someone who'd happily share <laughs> their animal manure with you, whether it's a stable or, um, you know, reach out to 4-H groups in your area to find families who might have those animals. You can probably work out a deal. So it's one of those situations where when we take it back to the more simple path, things just make more sense, right? When we put the manure back in the earth and let it nurture the soil, it makes things better all the way around. And I realize there's a whole um, more, there's a more complicated system when we're talking about commercial farming. Again, that's a topic for another day. So anyway, those are my rambling thoughts. Maybe that was helpful. Maybe it wasn't, but that's just some of the things I'm considering. And it's not, this is not the uh, official um, be all and end all. I'm sure there's other topics around this that I'll have popped into my mind in the coming weeks and months, but hopefully that was helpful of just um, giving you some ideas of how you can think outside of the box in 
you know, how you're supplying your homestead and, and the pieces that you require to keep it going, how you can circumvent some of the systems and make sure you have what you need to keep growing the food and cultivating the vegetables and getting those eggs and milk and whatever else that you require for your homestead needs. So as always, friends, thank you so much for being here. If you want to keep up with what I'm doing in between podcast episodes, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can follow me over on Instagram. It's at jill.winger. I recently just changed my Instagram handle. So it's still all the Prairie Homestead like topics, but it's just under a different handle. So jill.winger. And then you could also join my newsletter. I email once a week, sometimes once every other week and send out all kinds of tips and tricks, recipes, tutorials, how-tos on growing your homestead and thinking outside of the box. And you can sign up for that over at theprairiehomestead.com slash grow. So thanks so much for being here, friends. Send over any ideas you have, any creative ways you are getting those seeds, you are working on chicken feed or livestock feed. I'd love to hear what you've been um, discovering and figuring out as we you know, navigate this very interesting time in our history. But hey, there's never been a better time to be a homesteader, whether you're homesteading in your backyard, in the city, or on 100 acres. Like you are in the right place. You are doing the right thing. And I hope that gives you a lot of peace and reassurance because uh, it's a great path to be on, especially right now. So thanks for listening, friends. We will chat on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. (music) 